Hi, I'm Brenna, and I'm your host today for the Quaff Spotlight Session podcast. This podcast features Quaff alumni who have built successful careers in finance and explores their experiences that have ultimately landed them where they are today. Queen's University Alternative Asset Fund, or Quaff, is currently Canada's only student-run alternative asset investment fund. Managed exclusively by Queen's students and overseen by faculty and industry professionals, the Quaff portfolio holds both public and private alternative investment strategies. Quaff is designed to provide students with hands-on experience focused on providing exposure to the investment industry, alternative strategies, and portfolio management. Through the engagement of alumni, current members, and industry professionals, Quaff has established itself as an invaluable educational opportunity for Queen's students. Today, we are so excited to be joined by William McIsaac. Will is an associate at Cigard Holdings and is based in Toronto where he is responsible for intellectual property and structured credit investments in the life sciences sector. Prior to this role, Will was an analyst at DRI Capital where he was responsible for making royalty and structured credit investments in the biopharmaceutical industry. Will transitioned into investments from scientific research after finishing his MBA at Queen's. Will has a very unique background and a phenomenal story of transitioning from science into finance. He went to Queen's University to obtain his Bachelor of Science, specializing in neuroscience, his Master's in Science, specializing in neuroscience, MBA, and Master's of Finance. While during our discussion we don't go into a lot of detail on this particular subject, in grad school Will studied what's called circumventricular organs, which are unique areas of the brain where there's no blood-brain barrier. What this means is that it's the point of contact between the blood and the brain, so that there are potential therapies that you can apply to the blood that may pass through the brain via these circumventricular organs. It's been said that an intelligent mind is an inquiring mind, and that real freedom is the outcome of intelligence. There is something so energizing and so invigorating about being in the presence of someone who is so phenomenally intelligent. However, for me, the most interesting part about my interview time with Will was his ability to relate on any level, whether it was telling me about his own failed stock pitch in Quaff, explaining the challenges that he has faced and overcome with his transition from science to finance, and reaffirming his still very strong passion for science and scientific research, and how this passion has become a cornerstone that he has built his career upon. We hope that you find meaningful and impactful content in our discussions. Will, thank you so much for being here with us today. How are you doing? I'm good, Brenna. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. So let's just start with talking a little bit about Quaff and Queen's. Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to since graduating from Queen's. I guess I graduated from Queen's two years ago, I guess. But once I graduated, I uh, moved to Toronto from Kingston because I was doing my, my MBA at Queen's and started my career in alternative investments. So I started a firm, it's called DRI Capital, which is you know, a healthcare focused firm that looked at mostly royalty investments in healthcare and some structured credit as well. But more recently, I've just been working at Cigar Holdings in the, the healthcare group there where we focus on intellectual property and, and structured credit investments. Yeah, it's, it's been a little while in the workforce, but uh, I didn't realize how long it had been since I'd been at Queen's. Yeah, time flies when you're having fun, hey? Tell us a little bit more about what you do at Cigar Holdings and also what you used to do at DRI Capital. Sure. So I'll start with, uh, with DRI. So it's essentially a firm that was started back in the late 2000s that essentially was an alternative investment private equity firm that 
focused on investing in pharmaceutical royalties and the intellectual property that um, resulted in those royalty entitlements. The investments were really focused on getting a piece of the revenues of what would be multi-billion dollar products marketed by blue chip uh, big pharma marketers. So it was pretty interesting and pretty niche, uh, but also something that that's good for, you know, if you're a science geek with a little bit of finance acumen as well, it, it's a good mix of, of both those things. Um, they also had a, a small hedge fund at, at one point as well, focused in healthcare as well. But Cigard, which is where I'm at now, is a alternative asset firm, which has, you know, a multitude of different groups. So there's the traditional private equity group, as well as the private debt group, two venture capital-based groups. So one's more traditional venture capital, one's more venture building. And then a final group, which would be the healthcare group, which is where I sit. Um, and we focus on investments in intellectual property, which is very similar what to DRI did, as well as more of an expanded mandate in the structured credit investment space, which is, uh, you're familiar with sort of private debt. It's more that traditional private debt set in the sense that it's, you know, term loans to pharmaceutical companies with usually marketed products or a few marketed products um, that can sort of service service the debt over time. Wow, that sounds uh, very interesting and probably like you're coming into something a little bit different every day at work. What would you say one of your favorite things is about your current role? So I think my colleagues would be a bit upset if I didn't say, you know, hanging out with them on the daily basis <laughs> is the best part of my job. But uh, there you go. That's the team player. Yeah. <laughs> if they're ever listening to the Quok podcast just on their off time. Um, they'll probably be glad to hear that. But um, Oh, we, we will send it their way, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, what I like about my job is just, you know, in, in any sort of deal work, you're, you're sort of being presented new deals regularly. So you have to learn something new um, very quickly, which is something I, I always like doing, which is kind of why I went back to school. I just, I just love to learn. And so being at where I am, constantly getting thrown new things at me, and I get the opportunity to learn more every day, which is pretty cool. And it's sometimes a little frustrating when it's something I know nothing about. But but overall, you know, I think that's what I like most about my job right now. It's all about that journey. One of my favorite quotes is, the more you know, the more you know that you don't know. And I always find that with my own learning journey myself. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. I think there's a lot mm -hmm. that I'm finding I don't know every day, which is fine, but um, it, it's cool to just get the opportunity to, to sort of fill those gaps. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So tell us a little bit about how your time at Quaff has impacted your career journey and your overall career goals. Sure. So Quaff was pretty unique experience for me just because I was coming out of a, a scientific research background and had no actual experience in investing at all. So it was a perfect environment for someone like me to learn by doing and to do that in a safe environment and build some of that experience that would really help me when I would later, you know, go to speak to industry professionals or, or even just go for interviews um, to have sort of that prior experience in doing that in front of a, a pretty safe audience. And I'm very much a person that that learns by doing. And so having that environment to sort of crash and burn on my first stock pitch was really great to be able to learn it, learn from that experience um, and from the mentors that we have at, at Quaff as well. So without, you know, having the fears of any sort of recourse or doing some of those activities in, in the actual workplace, but still having that very valuable experience, I thought, I thought was really helpful for me. 
What did you crash and burn on? <laughs> uh, <laughs> My first, uh, my first stock pitch was pretty bad. It was, uh, oh, no. in my, in my January when I had just started, mm-hmm. I, I think it was Juno therapeutics, but, um, I, I can't remember what, what it is I did, but, uh, one of the then Quaff members who had been on Quaff for a year was like, this is terrible. <laughs> uh, and then, then they went on oh, to actually what? give me some constructive, uh, feedback, which was great in, in the end, but, uh. <laughs> But uh, yeah, oh it's, it's just not knowing at the time. But you know, it was, it was everybody was pretty supportive <laughs> after the fact, so it wasn't a big deal. But it was it was really. And did they literally like stop you mid pitch just to be like, "This is straight up terrible"? Like, how did they do it? No, it was just more at the end. They were like, "Yeah, we're definitely not oh. investing in this." <laughs> wow. <laughs> but were you able to win them over once you took their constructive feedback and improved it? Oh, not for that company, just because the fundamentals no. weren't there. But yeah, I went and oh, I did, okay. you know, a few more stock pitches like later on. And then things eventually sort of found their groove and it all went a bit more smoothly uh, for subsequent pitches. Well, hey, you know what? That's not, honestly, sometimes the best things that you learn are from making mistakes. I digress. Thank you for that story. So, Will, what do you consider to be your greatest professional achievement so far? Yeah, I guess I'm pretty new to the the workforce, just having before school at Queens, the MBA, I hadn't worked at all. So I've only worked two years, so I can't say I have too many professional achievements to date. But I guess I would have to say that uh, when I published my first scientific paper, which I know is a little bit unrelated to investment, but I was pretty happy with you know the work I had put in and just sort of, it was a great feeling to be able to create an idea, prove it, and defend that idea against, you know, people in the industry that are really knowledgeable, um, you know, and scientists in the field. So I would say that was my my greatest achievement. And although maybe not directly related to investment, the process, I guess, is somewhat similar in terms of defending an investment thesis or, or what you might do at Quaff. There are some similarities between those two processes, I guess. I definitely agree that that's something that's very related and that's a huge achievement you should only be proud of yourself for that do you mind if I ask what it was that you were able to get published like what was the study what was the thesis yeah so I have a general idea it's hard to remember exactly what I put in that that paper but um, it had to do with uh, I know we, we talked about this uh, you and I earlier but uh, what are called subfornical organs which are areas of the brain that have I'm sure people, you know, who are listening from Quaff don't don't really care about the science too much, but it's a part of your your brain which has sort of a porous blood-brain barrier, which is the part that blocks all you know the blood and everything in the blood from getting to the brain. These are specific areas of the brain where it's you know easier to get in essentially. And so we were studying you know what types of therapies might be able to make it past um, these subfornical organs and sort of communicate with the brain and how this could you know, really facilitate pharmaceuticals in, in the future. And that's a very general uh, description of what I did. What I actually did was a lot more, you know, heading a microscope for, you know, six hours at a time and then writing a paper on my little lab <laughs> computer. So, but yeah, that, that, that's more or less kind of what the paper was based on. That's really interesting. Will, that's a, a really amazing achievement. So what do you think your ultimate career goal is right now? I think for me, being relatively new, I think it would just be great to, in the future, just be leading some sort of fundraising for a new fund, um, and then being able to deploy that capital after the fact, and getting a chance to sort of lead that process from from beginning 
to end, probably pretty far down the road, to be honest. But for now, uh, I'm pretty happy just sort of learning the ropes from from some of the more senior people and, and fine tuning a lot of my skills. But I think down the road, it'd be pretty interesting to get more involved in some of the business development side of things and, and sort of overseeing that. Very cool. I think that's a great direction. So on to a little bit more about you. You've mentioned that you're very passionate about, about science and you've already told us a little bit about the scientific study that you published. Tell me more about what area of neuroscience you were studying and interested in. So in, in neuroscience, I was pretty interested just in because the brain's kind of a shut off box and there's no way of getting any sort of therapy to it. I was interested in just what are the ways that you can get pharmaceutical agents to the brain. And that's what sort of segued into sort of what I do now in investments and what we're seeing in the healthcare industry um, is we're seeing a lot more access to neurological pharmaceuticals. And, and one way they're, they're doing that um, and one interesting trend that we're seeing is through what's called gene therapy, uh, which is a big up and coming trend in pharmaceuticals and a very interesting area, but it's, it's this idea that for certain diseases, which are essentially caused by faulty genes, they can be fixed by, you know, replacing those faulty genes with, with a good gene through uh, what's called a viral vector, which will go into the body and the cell with the faulty gene and sort of replace it. Um, and it's a pretty interesting area of work right now, but one, one in terms of, you know, tiny facts in neuroscience for spinal muscular atrophy or, or SMA and another for, for hemophilia, which are both pretty life-altering diseases. And so the implications of having some of these more advanced drugs that you sort of change the root cause would essentially offer sort of a one-time treatment and could potentially be a cure for these patients and have big implications. Uh, but we're seeing a lot of these large pharma companies get into to gene therapy more recently. Yeah, very interesting. Have you read The Gene by Siddhartha Mukherjee? No, I haven't. Is this a, a book on like gene therapy? Yeah. So it's more like it goes through like the evolution of genetics. So his first book, he's actually an oncologist and he focuses on leukemia. So his first book is almost like the evolution of cancer where he goes through like, you know, like where, where did cancer originate? And like, how far back does it go? And what was the study of cancer? And like, how did we find everything out? But he ties, he ties everything into a story which just like evolved over the course of the book. So it's very fascinating and very well written. And so his second one is about genes. Yeah, he talks about spinal muscular degeneration. He has a really fascinating TED talk on a therapy that they've developed and they did it on like just a very small cohort of patients, but they were able to get a couple of successful treatments through and the kids are now like three. It's like a very fascinating area. Cool. Sorry, what, what's it called? Yeah. The gene by Siddhartha Mukherjee. You don't have to, I'll yeah. check it out. My, my bookshelf is just, I would say, half oh science God, books, half uh, science books. So I'll have to yeah. skew it more towards the science with that one. Will, you have a very unique journey going from neuroscience to finance. Can you tell us more about what inspired you to go into neuroscience in the first place and about the considerations and drivers behind your transition to finance? Yeah, sure. So neuroscience was kind of always interesting to me. So I, I had done a, an undergrad research thesis on uh, neuroscience, and I, I really enjoyed it. And I very much liked the notion that I could come up with a new idea or a new area of research and could go ahead and create a plan to either prove or, or disprove that idea that I had created out of thin air. But that's why I ended up doing grad school in neuroscience as well. And the people I was working with in the lab 
were also great. And one of the big draws as to why I sort of stuck around for as long as I did and enjoyed working with you know such smart people as well. I think for my transition, part of it was, I think, being in area of neuroscience that I was in, which was in and of itself very much at a molecular basis and, you know, putting my head down and getting into the nitty gritty of the molecular science and being in a microscope for a very long period of my day, I lost sight of sort of what the bigger picture is. And I think, you know, getting exposure to, you know, how, you know, what I'm doing now can very much have a larger influence on the industry that I'm so interested in. And I think that's what, what led me to sort of explore different areas, but the like actual catalyst for why I decided to transition to, to business and finance in general was one of the professors that we were working with actually ended up spinning out his own company from the IP that he created from one of the projects he was working on. So he had created a whole platform for how to make new drugs, spun out his own company, and then eventually IPO'd it. And we were very much, you know, in conversations while he was going through this entire process. And it all just very much interested me in that whole strategic aspect of it. And that's what led me to go back to, or I guess, stay at Queens for longer and sort of see what, what the finance world was all about. Wow, that's such an incredible and just a very unique story. What about the transition from science to finance did you find challenging? Um, <laughs> I guess, you know, Aside just like... Aside from missing the script, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, I guess it's just learning something completely foreign to you. Like, there's a lot of jargon and a lot of words that may, like, when you sort of get the experience um, or even just the the uh, learning from Queens that they give you, like, it seems very hard at the time. Um, and if for somebody who's just being introduced to it for the first time, but after you get, you know, a few, a few classes in you and, and some exposure into the industry, it, it all sort of clicks. But I think the hardest part for me was just initially understanding and getting up to speed, having come from a completely different background. That makes sense. The The words are something that I, I found as well, because no matter where you are, like people will just be using acronyms. And in my world, SFA might mean, mean something different than it does in your world. I need just like a dictionary for every new industry that I go into. I, I get that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, and I think, you know, I'm running into the same thing when I work with people at Cigar who are maybe not in, in the healthcare industry. And I say something maybe healthcare related and they they don't understand me. It's just, it's just something that you become a bit more conscious of when you realize oh, not everybody works in the same industry as you. I got that. So why did you choose to do both the MBA and the Master's of Finance program? Yeah, so for me, I had known that I wanted to get into finance during grad school. And then, so, so for someone like me who had zero investment experience or, or even finance ac- acumen, the MPIN was a great way to sort of accelerate that learning process while having it be focused solely on the finance side of things. So I felt like I needed that in addition to the MBA, just because I didn't have any business background and that the MBA might not be enough because there's, it's kind of an all-encompassing degree for, for business, right? So the MPIN was a great way to sort of get me up to speed on, on some of the hard skills, especially um, related to the finance industry. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Are you doing your CFA? <laughs> uh, I wish I wasn't, but yeah, I started that back in my last job and now I'm still finishing it off, but I, I deferred mine. Oh, okay. I'm not doing it in, in December. <laughs> Which level are you on right now? 
Uh, I'm on the third and final level. Oh, there you go. That's exciting. So wait, you're not writing December, so you'll get to write one of the first electronic exams. Hey. Yeah, I figured I'm a much better typer than I am writer, and people could probably read that better. <laughs> touche, touche. If you hadn't done any CFA before going to the Masters of Finance program, then that definitely would have been extremely valuable. Yeah, yeah, um, it, it helped a lot. So what would you recommend to someone who is going through this transition as well? I guess I would just, you know, let them know that it's very much a process and you're in it for the long haul. So I would recommend just kind of keeping a positive attitude because although it's a bit of a grind to find a new job in a completely new industry or new sector, it's also a very exciting time. So don't, don't lose sight of that, that this change is going to be positive and this should all be sort of relished and, and, and all sort of soaked in. Love it. Let's talk about private equity. What drove you to the private equity sector? What was your thinking behind this career choice and what trends are you noticing in that area? I guess, to be honest, at first, I didn't really have a good idea of what I was going to do, but I knew I was going to do something deal-related or deal-based work. So that kind of lends itself to private equity or investment banking. Those were kind of the two options that are presented to you when you're, when you're at school. So then it became a question of, do I want to work on the buy side or do I want to work on the sell side? So part of it stems from what are the opportunities available, um, especially for healthcare. Um, there's less advisory opportunities just because it's very U.S. centric industry just in its nature. But for me, I liked the investment side of things a bit more than the advisory side. It's just although I'm sure, you know, I would like the advisory side as well. But with the buy side, the analysis is a bit more critical and a bit more in depth, just because the fact that you're investing your money and your investors money, and you have skin in the game, so to speak. So you're holding these investments for quite some time rather than, you know, closing a deal and sort of moving on after, after you sort of collected your fees. Um, so I always thought that was was interesting. And I could kind of, you know, I think there was a bit more of an academia aspect to private equity, which was a bit more familiar to me as well. And then you asked about trends, I guess, in, in the area. I would say there's just been a lot more interest in our area than there was previously. So we worked in a pretty niche area um, in healthcare and then only, you know, structured credit and intellectual property is a subset of that. So since private debt has become more mainstream and, and intellectual property and royalties have come to sort of the forefront as well of alternative investments in general, just with, you know, this year in 2020, the largest IPO or what was the largest IPO was a company called Royalty Pharma. I think there's just a lot more awareness for companies who now, you know, can explore these financing options and, and sort of the industry grows as a result of, you know, all this added interest into it. Very cool. So private debt has become more mainstream and so it's opened a lot more opportunities there? Yeah, so, so private debt is a pretty new, in terms of the grand scheme of just financing options available to companies. So it's become a bit more mainstream and I think there's just been a lot more interested in it recently for companies as a financing option and a lot more actual money being raised for, for private debt funds. So I think a trend I would say would just be like a lot more private debt funds popping up every everywhere you go. I really liked what you said about having skin in the game and how that that's what you do apart from from other aspects of the industry. One question I do have though is that yeah, you're right, more healthcare is based in the US. Why do you think that is? You know, there's 
so much talent up in Canada and you know we have professionals who are trained at fantastic schools like U of T and UBC and Queens and then they leave and go to the US or go to Europe because we just don't really have the market for healthcare. And that to me is kind of interesting. Yeah, part of it's just because the sh- the population is just larger in the US, right? So pharmaceuticals just on a volume basis can sell more to the US and that so as a result that's where they focus their efforts. Um and then part of it would also just be the amount of of margin that they can actually capture in the US is larger just given the nature of how their healthcare system is structured versus the uh more public structure that that's here in Canada. Healthcare economics, how would you define this and why do you think that this is important and what resources can we look to to learn more about healthcare economics? Yeah, it's it's a really important like aspect of the industry and and not one that I actually focus on to be to be perfectly honest, but I think one thing that I can speak to just having worked in the industry for for the short time that I had is that you realize that there's just so many areas where or I guess subsets of companies that are making money off of one single drug that sort of adds to the costs associated with it and with that aspect of healthcare or hospital visit. There's just so many areas where costs are added in, and I'd be speaking U.S. specifically, um, that I just didn't even really realize before I'd worked in the industry and, and sort of how how it all works. But it's definitely something that I'll leave to smarter minds than me, but uh, an area that should be focused on and sort of figuring out how we can make it better and optimize it for the patients that are that are being treated. It's something that I find comes up in many different areas, ways, shapes, and forms. Even trying to figure out the the breakdown of the patent versus the milestone versus when something goes to commercialization stage, and then how all of that gets passed on consumer. It's just something that I find interesting. It's since then that hindsight is twenty twenty. So with that in mind, knowing what you know now and having the experiences that you've had, what wisdom would you give to your past self? And what's the significance of that wisdom? I guess I would say to a, a past me, just network and, and socialize as, as much as possible. It's really a skill and skills kind of take time and practice to develop. So the more the more you do it, the, the better you get. And I think not something that I appreciated cu- coming into um, this industry coming from science. So once you get into the workplace too, it, it's still pretty important to make connections, you know, with your coworkers, you know, just to en- enjoy the environment, but also with, with other people in the industry, just so you have the network um, that you've been building for some time. And that, that will also help you if, if you decide to, to move at some point as well. Absolutely. That sounds like great advice. So last question, what do you think is the future in finance? What do you see that's changing? Anything that you see that is gaining traction or might be an opportunity or something that will be important in the future within private equity? uh, Yeah, it's an interesting question. I guess I'm a little biased because I, I do work in alternatives, right? So I think the space is continuing to grow and, and one that's very interesting uh, to get into just because you'll see sort of the, the actual types of investments that um, are sort of being created pretty frequently and, and, and all very new. So people are still kind of figuring out what the best structures are, what actually makes a market in terms of the alternative investments and, and how they should sort of play out. And I think also just coupled with the increasing sort of distrust uh, in the actual public markets as of, as of recent, um, it becomes easier not only to raise capital in the private space, but, but also just to 
sort of convince companies that this is a good financing option to them, which, you know, may fuel its growth as well as, you know, some opportunities in, in the alternative space for sure. Love it. Well, you know us at Quas, we do love our alternative investments. <laughs> so, Will, thank you so much for your time. We're just going to finish with seven, just for fun, rapid fire questions. So these are questions that I'm going to ask you and you are going to answer or at least try to answer with five words or less. Are you ready? Yeah, sure. Fire away. What would you say you are the most proud of? Uh, grad school thesis. Love it. Does that have to be If fast? you could only... <laughs> I just went fast. <laughs> no, that was pretty good. If you could only have one type of food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Lasagna. Hmm. What gets you out of bed in the morning? Coffee, tea, Bloomberg, or other? Mm, I'd go coffee. What's more important, IQ or EQ? EQ. You can learn stuff on the job. What do you do to unwind? Uh, running. Okay. What's the last book that you read? Oh, uh, a book called Bad Pharma. Oh, okay. And what are your words to live by? Uh, I guess relax. It all, it all works out in, in the end. Love it. Takuna Matata? Yeah, something along those lines. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being here with us, Will. We really appreciate it, and we look forward to talking with you again soon. Yeah, thanks so much, guys, and best of luck with uh, the rest of the year in school and, and Quaff. Perfect. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this session of the Quaff Spotlight Series. Until next time, be well and invest with intent.